to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. All right, true story. So when I was a kid, Jeremiah, I've got to tell you something really naughty that I used to do. If I would get a slice of meringue pie, like women meringue pie, any any sort of pie topped with meringue, the first thing I would do is take my fork. And normally because the meringue was you know, loosely attached to the, the curd <laughs> part of the pie, I would scrape the meringue off because I didn't care for it at all. And, uh, I don't do that anymore. I got to tell you, I love meringue now. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. But when we were prepping for this episode, I realized there's still some meringue haters out there. And so I prepared a little list. Shall we list off all the wonderful things made with meringue? Absolutely. Are you serious? There are haters out there of meringue. Isn't it wild? I know, but I can identify. That's why I'm saying I started off with my story to say like, I'm with you. I'm no longer one of you, but I'm convinced <laughs> <laughs> that we can bring you over to the meringue side, right? Like, yes, it's, it's a good place to be, but there's so many things made with meringue that whether or not you think you like quote unquote meringue, you probably love a dessert that's made with meringue. So obviously meringue cookies are made with meringue pavlovas, which we love macarons, those delicious little French cookies. Absolutely. They would be nothing but a pile of almonds without <laughs> meringue. Dacquoise. <laughs> buttercream. So everyone who likes Swiss meringue, buttercream, Italian meringue, buttercream, all these like whipped up creamy buttercreams, you like meringue. <laughs> sponge cakes would not be spongy without meringue. Chocolate mousse. Now you can't make chocolate yes, mousse by ma'am. whipping whipped cream, but if you're pulling a Julia Child, you're definitely making a meringue. <laughs> and marshmallows. Mud hens. Have you heard of mud hens? No. Okay, it's kind of my latest obsession is any kind of a bar cookie baked with meringue on top. The same idea as a Blitz torque <gasps> cake. But Yum. yeah. Yeah, something oh, dangerous for sure. My mind's already spinning. Divinity candy, which you and I are big fans of. My grandma's obsessed with it. Blitz tort, which I just talked about. And the topping you swiped off your pie as a kid. (laughs) Shame (laughs) on me. (laughs) Lots of pies with meringue. Baked Alaska. It wouldn't be very fun to torch a big ball of ice cream, would it? No. (laughs) Or would it? It needs its jacket of meringue. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Spanish wind torta, which I've made. That is... A poem, an ode, a tribute to meringue, for sure. Eaten mess, which you and I have made together. So much fun. Just a, a disaster of a pile of deliciousness. And then oufs à la neige. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but the French um, eggs in the snow. Or uh, there's like Ile de Flotante, you yeah. know, however you want to call it. But There are Portuguese versions of that, too. I think every European country has their has their name for it. Anyway, so there's uh, our meringue list, and it could truly it could go on and on yeah. and on. I'm sure everyone listening is going, "What about this? What about this? What about this?" Because so many things are made with meringue. It's just a magical component that every baker or pastry lover should get to know. Absolutely. Well, today we have a meringue expert, and it's no other than Heather Wong, Scooter Baker on Instagram of Josephine in Los Angeles. And welcome to Heather. Hi, Heather. Hi, hi. 
Hi, how are you? <laughs> we're good. Thanks for patiently waiting while we did our, our love note to Meringue. I'm sure you oh, were no, like I love it. wanting to jump in. <laughs> I actually don't. Yeah. The, no, that's all those things. Plus some things I've never even heard of, which is I want to learn more about too. <laughs> Me too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. How did you begin baking? Well, I wish I could say I was one of those kids that, you know, baked with their grandmother in the kitchen and that's how it all started. I had no idea that I liked baking until I was 26 and I was in college going to school for anthropology (laughs) and um, I got a part-time job at a bakery in Studio City and I was like, oh, I really like this. This I'm, I'm okay at this. And then I started a blog documenting my baking adventures. Then I started to sell to friends. And then I realized I can, excuse me, start selling more. And I got a job at uh, Bottega Louie. I learned how to make macarons. And I just kind of learned on the job. I never went to culinary school. um, And I just started selling my own cakes online and, uh, working for different restaurants in LA. And that's kind of how it evolved. I love that. I don't think there's one way that someone can come to baking. And I like, that's one thing I like about talking to different bakers on here is hearing there are a lot of people who started with their grandma and that's great. And then, but that's not the only way. So if you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you haven't started and you're thinking maybe you could, it's not like, Oh, if you didn't start with your grandma, you're, you're screwed. You're never going to be a good baker. It's the only way it's not the only way. So I love hearing, hearing that. And it, it, you can do it later in life too. You can realize it later. It's, there's never, <laughs> there's never like too late of a time to, to figure out what you want to do and have a love for. Well, so I came to you, we'll get to all things meringue soon, but I came to you because of your super artistic cakes. I feel like you have a very unique style, something that I'm really drawn to. It's just mm. aesthetically beautiful And we have a lot of creative bakers that listen. So I thought we'd love to hear about some of your inspirations for your artistic creations. Where do you find that? Or do you have any general creativity advice? Well, I, it's funny because I was connected or I found you on the interwebs, Instagram, because, (laughs) because we have a similar, you know, vision for our cake decorating. It's very, um, painting art, artful, uh, eclectic. It's not really super refined, but I, I feel like I'm inspired by painters. I wanted to go to art school when I was younger, um, but then realized I was a terrible, you know, (laughs) artist with actual, you know, paint and, um, pencil, but with buttercream, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's fun. It's easy. And, uh, you know, there's no limit to, how crazy you can get on a cake, especially these days, which is really fun and the colors. And so I think I'm really inspired by other, other artists online, other painters, actually a lot of painters. And you, you come across a lot on Instagram, which is amazing. So I I kind of get inspiration from, from them. There's so much inspiration out there. I'm so thankful for this aspect of social media and Instagram. It's, it's really, really special. It's, I know, I, I love it. It's, it's allowed me to find people like you who have similar vision, um, Amanda, for, for cake decor. 
So yeah, absolutely. I think I I can totally identify. I did go to art school, but I didn't finish because Mm. it just didn't connect with me. I felt like it just didn't feel right. I was like, I don't, I, I don't know. It wasn't what I imagined. And I was really lost for a long time. Cause I just thought as a kid, like I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be an artist. That's what I'm going to do. And then I went to school and I'm like, this doesn't feel like what I expected it to feel like, but then buttercream seems to be a good medium for me. <laughs> I feel like it's the same with you. So yeah, it's so bizarre. And I didn't know that you went to art school. That would make so much sense now. Yeah. Yep. We're uh, kindred buttercream art spirits I here. <laughs> and in LA together, finally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you've done a lot of interesting baking things. We're going to try to kind of skim over these because I want to at least touch on it for our listeners and, and selfishly too. I want to know a little bit about your time on spring baking championship <laughs> on food network. Yeah. I, what was that like? What was it like? Well, I mean, we can all relate right. Um, to being on TV that, that I've been approached for a couple years to be on different shows and it petrified me to actually be in a company competitive like space. And so I, I didn't want to do it. Um, but spring baking championship, uh, approached me and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. What the hell? Um, it's my biggest fear, but I'm going to do it. So I went on and it was the most stressful thing I've ever done. When you watch these competition shows, they're like, the stress is real. Um, as you, I'm sure can remember. And, but I, it was also like baking boot camp. It was, I learned so much from these other bakers. There was, we're all, we all still talk to this day. We group text. We're, we're all friends. It's, it was such an amazing experience in retrospect. You know, I, I'm so grateful I made the choice to do it. Um, I didn't get, I was a semifinalist, so I didn't win, but I was like, you know, Second to last episode, I got pretty far, which is really an accomplishment for me because every morning I would wake up and it was just stress overload. But it it also forced me to be super creative in such a short span of time. And it was fun and terrifying all on camera. Got to cry on camera, which is like TV gold, I hear. <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> It was one of the coolest things I've ever done. It was, it was such a great experience and, um, I got such a very cool response from people too. So I'm glad I did it. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. I think that like the baking shows and and Jeremiah, I know we both agree with this. It's like, if you're going to be on a competition show or, or, I mean, it's technically like a reality type show. Mm -hmm that's the place to be. It's not like you leave with the scars of having been on the bachelorette or something, you know? (laughs) No, no. No. (laughs) And everything you said has mirrored what we've said about our experience. I mean, our biggest gift of that show was the friends we made and what we learned, but baking bootcamp is the best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you quickly learn things you didn't know. Um, and you test your limits and that's can be really frightening, um, but also really rewarding. So uh, would I do it again? I don't know. It's <laughs> so intense, but, um, I'll never forget that. So it's, it was really cool. Well, tell us about Josephine. Josephine is a very 
very cool little company um, that I've been blessed to start with uh, some friends, Asia and uh, Julie. Julie Cutforth and Asia Forbes. Um, and Julie came to us with an idea to, she has a love of meringue, all things meringue. Her, her husband is English, and so she's enjoyed all the English meringue treats, like eaten mess, as you mentioned earlier. Um, and she didn't feel that there was anywhere in L.A. to buy meringue. It wasn't really, there's very little education here about meringue. People don't really know what it is, or they don't really care for it, or they think about the very styrofoamy cookie that you get at Trader Joe's. Uh, so she wanted to, to start a company, a bakery, focusing entirely on meringue. Um, but it was with the goal of placing all the, uh, the profits of this business um, to her nonprofit in Haiti called Putamoon, and also to forward some of the profits to uh, the foundations here in the U.S., like No Kid Hungry and Share Our Strength. So that's kind of our goal. We're all moms. We all love children. We all love meringue. So that's kind of the overall uh, idea of this business was to, to make desserts for kids and for families, but also, you know, have a purpose with, with baking. That's so special. I didn't realize that it had that, um, extra value and the extra meaning of giving back. I knew about the meringue, but like that, you know, what, what's the product? What are you guys making? I see the beautiful pictures, but I didn't realize that there was also that giving back portion. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we just started, we just like launched last year in October and it's very young, but it's getting such a great response and we just want to really educate people in the U.S. about meringue and how it is in everything that you don't realize and you do love it and it is delicious and there are many ways of making it in many forms. So that's, that's our goal. Okay, quick side note. What do you do with all the egg yolks? I'm obsessed with yolks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good question. I didn't even think about that. No, it is a good question because we don't want to waste. We want this right. you know, idea of like zero waste. We want to use the best quality ingredients, organic, and we don't want to waste all the yolks. So we reserve the yolks. We make it into a French buttercream, which uh, contains yolks, um, which is like a really buttery a rich buttercream. We put it in our curds and our cremeuse. So we we have applications for them, um, and we don't. Yeah, we don't like wasting the yolks. You're not just eating sc- scrambled yolks for breakfast <laughs> every morning. Now that's good. <laughs> I was going to give you my address. Egg, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can send all your yolks to me. <laughs> I'll freeze them and then I'll send them. Yeah, overnight them. <laughs> Yeah. You need like a Portuguese bake shop next to next a meringue door. shop. Yes. That would be awesome. Too, right? oh, oh my gosh. gosh. I should open up shop next door to you and we'd be happy, happy partners. Oh, so you can use a lot of yolks for Portuguese desserts? Yeah. I mean, a, well, a cake will have 30 yolks. I mean, yesterday <gasps> I made a flan that was 17 yolks and it was the tiniest little flan. <laughs> How can we get know, them right? to you. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to move to LA where it's nice and warm all the time. Yes. Oh, do it. Could really work. We can split the cost of eggs. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Well, you need to find some Portuguese people down there that are baking a lot and they'll, they'll be happy. Oh, BFFs. Writing this down. Okay. (laughs) All right. So we're about to, it's good that you said Josephine is like part about educating people about meringues because we're about to go to school on (laughs) meringues here. We have a ton of questions from our listeners sprinkled in some of my own and it's just, it's, it's going to be intense. So buckle in everybody. Get your notepads. Get, get your pad and pencil out and get ready. So um, first we just had a couple of general ones. Um, so Tessa, who's been our guest before, who is Style Sweet Daily said, no question, but so excited about this, <laughs> which I loved. I love when people just express their excitement because I'm like, me too. So <laughs> we're right there with you, Tessa. And then, so the first question, well, is this one even a question is from Kim Brown six. It says, I know nothing about meringues. So any information is good information after looking at her Instagram. Instagram accounts. That's you, Heather. Uh, I would like to learn much more about meringue. Her work is beautiful. And I second that. And then I thought, why not go over just really quickly? Cause it's quite simple. It feels intense because it has names of countries, but what are the different types of meringue? Can we just say like, what's French? What's Italian? Like, can we just mm-hmm. get in there? What's Swiss? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so French is the pretty standard meringue uh, technique, or it's just, it's just your classic egg whites, super fine sugar. That's pretty much it. That's all you need for your French meringue. It's real simple. Um, and it requires no heating of sugar or anything. You just whisk it all together, get your meringue and you throw it in the oven. And that's how you, you bake your cookies. Um, Italian meringue, which is one that I love personally is uh, uh, the method is you cook your sugar with water to get your syrup and then you add it to your egg whites, which you whisk up into a meringue and then you can bake it. Um, and same goes for Swiss, Swiss meringue. You, you cook your egg whites with your sugar in a bain-marie on top of the stove and then you add it to your mixer and you whisk that. So it's just a little bit different method, but you are heating your sugar up with your eggs. And what am, what am I missing? That's it, I think. That's it. Yeah. I think you're good. It's all yeah. sugar and egg whites. Just all sugar different, and egg whites. Just different method. Different method. Yeah. So a great follow-up question is from Seth Hill, 51. What's the difference between French and Italian meringue taste-wise? Mm. Is there? Taste-wise, well, I've done a lot of tasting of meringue, um, and taste-wise, it's more textural, actually. So taste will be the same. You just add your vanilla or your flavoring to your meringue to get added taste. So taste tastes the same, I think, across the board. But texturally, um, meringue, uh, French meringue could be a little more gritty if you don't dissolve your sugar well enough which tends to happen because you're not heating your sugar up when you're adding it to your egg whites. Um, and then Italian, you are heating your sugar up. So it turns into a syrup. And so the, the texture is smoother and silkier and shiny and softer. I, I think that's what I find between French and Italian. Yeah. I feel like with Swiss or Italian, there's no chance of graininess or grittiness because the sugar is dissolved. Whereas with French, 
sometimes it can be a little bit more gritty, you know? Yeah. And that's, it's a good starting point for, for anyone who, who's not worked with meringue before French, you know, meringue, the classic way of making meringue is, is easiest. But then as you evolve to really love meringue and want to, you know, advance your skills, Swiss or Italian is, is definitely the way to go. Okay. So we have a couple of pie questions, which pie is like such a popular place to find meringue. Big man loves food says, do you bake meringue on top of pie or just torch it? Or does it depend on the type? He says he likes to use Swiss meringue and torch it. Yeah. I, I know classically the lemon meringue pie, you put a French meringue and you bake it. Um, but I really love putting Italian meringue on pie and torching it. It's just so like silky smooth. I love that torch. I just, I like the texture for me personally. I like the texture of Italian and Swiss over French, but there is a place for French meringue. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to be French meringue haters. No way. No, no, No. but I, I like, I like my Italian. That's, I've been using that for years. So that's, that's my preference. What about you, Amanda, these days? I'm the same. I, I, I prefer to use, I go back and forth between Swiss and Italian. It kind of depends on if my kids are in the kitchen, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. Just because Swiss, I feel like I don't have to use very much brain power, but I feel like it's a little more like laborious. Like you're standing there stirring, stirring, stirring. Uh, whereas Italian, I feel like if I'm distracted, things could go badly, but then I prefer to do it that way just because of the, I feel like it's a little more stable and, uh, it's just, you're not standing there stirring, stirring, stirring. That kind of annoys me sometimes. So what about you, Jeremiah? Do you have a preference? As far as the meringue, I mean, these days I'm using Swiss most often just because it's, there's a lot of ease to it, but I do agree that Italian's really wonderfully stable. Um, but I've always been a torch, the, the Swiss or Italian on top of the pie person until this Thanksgiving, I did Swiss and then popped the oven, popped the pie in the oven. And I did love baking it a bit because you didn't get as much of the dramatic torching, but some of the outside of the meringue cooks a bit. And so you get it just a different textural element. So it's kind of fun. I never even considered bake. I always think yeah, definitely you're going to bake a French meringue, but it was fun to bake um, the Swiss on top of a pie. It was a fun thing to try, but sometimes you just need to torch. It's such a fun, fun process. I remember on our baking show too, that Mary Berry was like hardcore fan of baking the meringue. She's not a big fan of the torch. And I think it's because of that, like the pleasure of eating it. She likes that experience more. She was horrified that none of us baked our meringue. Like <laughs> horrified. <laughs> Crazy Americans. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question about meringue. So I've done it both ways. I've had success both ways and I've had failures both ways. And I've read online people who are diehard both ways. Do you guys think it's better to put meringue on a hot pie? Like, so if you've baked your lemon pie, then do you put the meringue on while it's hot room temp cold? Does it even matter? What, like, if you look online, you'll see like all these sites going in different directions. And everybody says like, this is the way so that you don't get that, um, weeping of the meringue or the splitting. Is there like, what is the answer? (laughs) I, um, I've read those as well and I've tried all. And I also feel like it, it 
depends on your your fridge too. Because since I work in a commercial kitchen, I have a commercial walk-in fridge, and uh, the humidity level can be different. So adding mm. a hot adding meringue to a hot pie, I I wish I could answer that with a de- definitive like no, I know best. But I since I always just add. <clears throat> like a cooked Italian meringue to a cold pie. That's my thing. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know about the other way. Like, I don't know if that works any better. It, it might for some, but my, my fridge is so humid that that's like a killer of meringue too, that I, I can't like put meringue in my fridge, my walk-in fridge at work. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my constraints. I don't know. I, I don't know about that one. That makes sense. And, and I'm glad to hear you say that you don't know, because I feel like this is just something where I'm like, I've lost my mind or something and I'm going, I'm in good company. So it, it validates me. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I wish I could say I knew everything about all things meringue, but I'm still figuring it out. You know, it's, it's, it's a process and I'm, you know, like rain is awful for humidity is awful for mer- meringue and it's mostly dry in LA. So this is a new challenge too, since it's been raining more often than it normally has. Mm-hmm. This has been a fun challenge for me in the kitchen, pulling my hair out a little bit more lately, but that's, that's part of the process too. So we're figuring it out. Yes. I wonder if you, either of you have tried this trick. It's a Rose Levy Barenbaum trip, 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 trick. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So she, has you either bake a really thin layer of cake, like sponge cake, or to take um, cake crumbs and cover the top of the pie, especially like a lemon meringue or a curd pie or custard pie with the cake crumbs first and then your meringue. And supposedly that will keep the meringue from doing anything strange, especially like shrinking or pulling away from the edges and absorb any, any moisture that the meringue could leak. Have you guys tried that? No. I need to come. Which I'm interested to try it, but I'm also like that requires having like a whole other yeah, component, you know? Absolutely. So sometimes I'm like, I want it to be easier than that, but I'm open to it. I'm open to it. Well, if you have, especially if cake scraps around, that could be good. And For I sure. yeah, always have the cake scraps around. No, that's, I, I have heard of that. I haven't tried that. And it's not a bad idea because, you know, cake and pie, maybe add a little extra. I don't know. That sounds interesting. It could be a thing. It could yeah, be a thing. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pavlova questions, Jeremiah. Let's let's dig in. I love it. So Pearl and Sky Events wants to know tips for making a classic Pavlova. Specifically, how do you get the right consistency in order to hollow? What do you think they mean by that? To I hollow. I think they mean to create a crater type like center on the top maybe so that it makes when sense. it bakes and it kind of falls. I'm guessing that's what she means by that. This question puzzled me when I read it, I was like, have I been doing it wrong? Cause when I make pavlova, I shape the meringue with a cavity and bake it that way. But then it made me question. And I was curious what you guys do at Josephine. Do you bake it? Like, do you make one that's rounded, it bakes it, and then it falls? Is that the goal? Is that what you're supposed to be doing? No. So, well, hmm. I make a couple different kinds of pavlovas. The classic pavlova where you you shape it tall, and then you create a crater in the center 
so that when it bakes, it does fall slightly because if you don't, if you make a tall pavlova and you don't make that kind of crater divot in the center, when you start to fill your pavlova, everything's going to just fall inward because sure. yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's so soft. So you, you're doing it right. <laughs> you do need to put your, uh, your crater in the center and, uh, it'll allow it to, to bake inward, I guess. Yeah. Then I, I, I also do the thinner layers where I can stack my layers of pavlova in between whipped cream and fruit. Um, and then those I make more, I don't want to say pancakey, but I don't hollow out the center or use that, do that crater type technique. Um, and because it's thinner, it's not really going to fall towards the center. If that makes sense, it's not going to cave in. So that that, makes sense. that's another yeah. option um, is doing thinner layers and then just stacking them with whipped cream, which is really cool. It gives a cool tall effect. That's fun. That makes sense to me. So if you're doing one layer, just make it from the get go, shape your meringue so that it has the hollow. And if you're doing a taller stacked one, you can just do treat them almost more like cake layers. Don't expect them to be hollowed, but just shape them kind of flattish exactly. from the start. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause if you don't do, if you do one tall pavlova and you don't uh, create that crater, it's going to collapse inward. So you're essentially helping um, with the crater. You're helping it do that beforehand. If that makes sense <laughs> during the baking yeah, process. Definitely. Yeah. And you're not ruining right. your shell. So Len Guica, Guica, Guica. It's, it's Len Guisa. She's playing off of a Portuguese sausage. Perfect. There we go. Uh, what's the secret to crunchy outside and chewy inside, like in pavlovas? Mm, well, um, correct temperature of your oven. Uh, low, low temp, slow, meaning bake it long. Even if you need to bake your or leave your, your pavlova overnight, that allows it to dry out on the exterior. And in the interior, making it your pavlova a little bit thicker, too, will give it that, like, spongy, cakey filling, which is so delicious. Um, and adding a little bit of cornstarch to your, your meringue also helps, too, because it uh, soaks up the moisture, and it's not leaping when you bake it. So some recipes recommend starting at a higher temperature and then immediately lowering them. Um, but you recommend going straight in at a low temperature. Well, actually the ovens I use at home are different than the ones at work. So the one at work is a pretty powerful convection oven, but I have started off testing, um, in an oven in my house, which does have convection, but it's pretty weak. And I start at a, a temp about like 325, 350. I'll say 325. And then I turn it down after about 45 minutes to 250 to 275. So it is at a higher temp earlier on to kind of bake up the meringue so that it grows tall. You develop your like crispy shell. And then as you're lowering your temp, it allows the center to bake through longer. So the higher temp is to bake the exterior. The lower temp is to bake the interior. 
And then what about for petite pavlovas? Would you lower it sooner, I would think, right? Or what, what's your recommendation? I would probably do the same, but just less time. Yeah. So a higher temp is okay for a smaller pavlova. Um, but, but turning it down probably after about 20, 30 minutes would be better than keeping it higher for much longer because it's a smaller amount of meringue. So it's going to take less time to bake. I'm always curious because I like to make pavlovas for parties just because it isn't such a common thing in America. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's, it's just something fun to expose people to. Do you, when you're making them for customers, how far in advance can you assemble them? Cause I get super nervous when I'm having people over to assemble it and then serve dinner. And then I feel like I'm going to go back to the fridge, open it up and see like a pile of syrupy egg white mess. What, what's your recommendation there? It's a really good question. It's something that we had to, we struggled with in the beginning because, uh, you know, when you're doing such high volume production, you need time. You need to be producing this stuff ahead of time. Um, so that you can (laughs) fulfill all your orders. But with pavlovas, you can't really do that because your whipped cream that you add on top of your pavlova does degrade the meringue and humidity also degrades the pavlova meringue so you i have to i have to prepare everything right before customer pickups so within within six hours i need to to build the meringue and refrigerate it in a very sealed container before the customer picks up so it has to be like day of because you you know doing it anytime earlier will just shrink the meringue down which is which is a bummer you can't do it too soon but you also know it's super fresh so yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. So, and then do you tell the customer like you need to eat this today or <laughs> like, can they take it home? And then because you made it so close to the time of pickup, can they keep it? Like how long can they keep it? It can be kept very well sealed in the fridge, um, overnight, but you will also notice that the whipped cream will also deflate a little bit too. So we do, uh, ask that or suggest rather at petites underscore chooses would like to know how can you guarantee that chewy center? Is there a test you can perform? Chewy. Do we want chewy or do we want soft and spongy? Cause yeah, chewy, go for soft I, and spongy for sure. I, I like soft and spongy chewy. I sometimes get chewy when I've left meringue or a pavlova in the oven uh, maybe too long, something about kind of, uh, I don't know, trapped in an oven. Like if I've left meringue or pavlova in an oven for longer than 12 hours, it, the center does get chewy. So if that's what you want, if you want chewy center and crispy exterior, I would just say leave the meringue in the oven as long as you can really like over 12 hours, 24 hours and don't open the door. Um, but if you want a soft and spongy interior, you know, two, three hours, I think is good. Or even like anytime under 10 hours, it's, it's a long, long drying process, meringue. I've noticed a big difference too. I, you know, just moving here from Atlanta in Atlanta, my oven was electric and here my oven is gas and they're sealed differently. I've noticed a big difference with meringues. Like I felt like 
the electric oven, I could leave it in there longer with the door shut and hear some reason with my gas oven. And it could be my specific oven, but the humidity, it's more affected by humidity in the gas oven. Like I felt like in the electric oven, it was more of like a dry, safe space, Mm. which was great in Atlanta where it was super humid. And then, and so I, even the questions about like, we'll get to them about like baking in the rain. I was kind of like, it's fine. I've done this in Atlanta on rainy days and it was fine. But then here with my gas oven, it's like the humidity gets in more somehow. So I I feel like that's a factor to pay attention to too. So if you're listening and you're like, I've done this and it's, it's not working the same way for me, it could be oven specific as well. So just, uh, something to ponder. That's very, that's a factor I didn't even consider like electric versus gas. Cause I've only worked with gas. Huh? I wonder why (laughs) there, I guess there's a valve in the back that there's an open, who knows? I don't know. I think that with gas, it's because I looked at this a lot with, um, bread baking. Cause I was really, really into bread baking uh, uh, when we first moved to Atlanta and most people, like if you buy an oven specifically for baking bread, I think they prefer electric because of how it vents and how the air flows through there with the gas. I think because it has to vent the gas, it, it vents more. So there's more air kind of coming in and out if I remember correctly, but yeah, so that's that's like a sneaky factor that has a big impact on rings. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I had to when we were looking for ovens for Josephine, we were God, we were just pulling our hair out trying to find the right oven for meringue. Um, I contacted some bakers in Australia to see what they use because you know Australia they make a lot of meringue and pavlova, and it was just <clears throat> so hard to find the right oven out here and. Electric wasn't really an option, just but that is really interesting to to consider too, just the venting process, and that's something maybe we have to consider for our own brick and mortar for your next your next spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to test that. I'm so glad this topic about the pavlova texture came up because when we we actually had to do them up for our show, and I had made them many times, but I didn't know really what the texture on the inside should be. And I think, I think this is, I'm wondering if a lot of people know this and I love that you made the distinction between chewy and then soft and spongy and that you can achieve, achieve both. People might just think chewy is soft and spongy, but I've definitely had that experience where you're like, you bite in, you're like, well, yeah, that's a soft center, but then it kind of sticks to your teeth a bit and is it more toothsome. And then when you've had it and you're like, Oh, that just kind of melted in my mouth and was so pleasant. So if I think this is this is so helpful just for me as well to know that okay the timing can affect obviously where you get that texture and to be mindful of that and then but then if you're like just throwing meringue and or sorry throwing cream and fruit on top of any old meringue it's still going to taste really good it's still going to be <laughs> delicious yeah <laughs> oh yeah like the the texture even meringue on cake it works so well because when you cut your slice of cake and then you have your meringue, it's like crunchy and soft and buttery. It's such a good combination. I'm sure you've you've realized that because you've been working so much, Amanda, with meringue on cake. Yeah, I don't know if it's because you guys have gotten in my brain or what, but I have the urge to put meringue on 
pretty much everything these days. So yeah, it's because it is so pleasant. It just works. Yeah. Um, I have another, so different dessert and I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but Mervelo, Mervelo. Have you ever made those? They're like the little stacked meringues with whipped cream and have you had success? Cause I tried it and it was terrible. I feel like I have to Google this. (laughs) Mervelo? No. Yeah. So, so, and, and I'm probably like, completely butchering it. How would you say it, Jeremiah? Mervelo. Mer- oh, yeah, Mer- Basically that. Yeah. Mervelo, Mervelo, Mervelo. Anyway, there, this is like a side thing. We could probably just take this out since none of us have any expertise, <laughs> but all of us should need to look it up because it's basically a meringue where they make two tiny meringues. They stack them with whipped cream and the whole thing's covered in uh, whipped cream and then rolled in different toppings, like very fine little chunks of meringue or rolled in uh, grated chocolate or rolled in speculoos cookies. And then they put it into a little like cupcake liner. So it's an individual little pastry. They're so beautiful and they look like they would taste really good, but I did it and it just looked like a child (laughs) was playing with their food. Like it just, it it was silly. I was like, this is just silly. But it also looks uh, approachable and edible, too, I'm sure. I mean, my kids loved them, but I could just put sugar in a spoon and they would. So I don't know if that really means a lot. So I used to do that. Yeah. Anyway, Google this up. Google this up because I want somebody to master it so I can eat them. Oh, I got to try. I cannot believe I don't know about this. I see. I'm learning. I'm learning from you guys. I'm going to send you, I'll send you some posts on Instagram. Like, like I said, take that. You could take this out, Jeremiah. It's it's kind of just ram- rambling, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want, like, I really, maybe we could like partner. Like I need to learn how to do this. I want somebody to learn how to do this. And like, I'll try something you try. I, like I want it to work. So I want to do this. It's yeah. It, mm, mm. Yeah. <laughs> Those are good sounds. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like, so meringue is really cool too because you don't need it as a whole cookie to eat or put it on a cake. You can even like crush it down. You can dry it out for a couple days, like just leave it out so that it dries out and then you crush it or you put it in your dried meringue and um, what do you call it? A food processor to get powder. And then it's, it's like powdered sugar, but that doesn't really dissolve like powdered sugar because it's been cooked and dried out. So I like to roll donuts in <gasps> powdered meringue with cinnamon what a good idea uh-huh so that's something that we do we bake our donuts and then we kind of butter it with melted butter and then we roll it in powdered meringue with cinnamon it's so pretty too because if you used colored meringue it's like pink or purple or whatever color you use it's it's pretty rad and it doesn't dissolve so that's that's another application for for meringue that you didn't know yeah, that's new to expert me. That's tip, awesome. Expert. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Joe Bo Bakes, I hope I'm saying that right, is um, Heather, do you have a favorite type of buttercream or one that you use the most? And they thank you. Mm, I I am partial to Italian. I know, you know, I know that it's <laughs> scary to work with because you're dealing with hot sugar. You have to boil it to a certain temperature. You have to stick your thermometer into the hot sugar to get it to the right temperature. You're burning your hand that way. Um, and then you have to pour the hot sugar into the meringue. But I also find that because I've done it for so long, it's easier because I don't like standing over a 
pot, like Swiss meringue, you have to, you know, whisk over a bain marie. I, I get tired of whisking. <laughs> like the least amount of whisking for me is better. So Italian is my go-to buttercream. Um, it's smooth and it's like buttery. It's not too sweet. And it, it frosts the cake way better than American buttercream for me. That's, that's my go-to. All right. So we have a question from Kelly Cardos. Macarons are my bane. Could you demonstrate mixing the meringue and almond flours? Do you have any tips for making those? Demonstrate mixing meringue into almond flour? Um, So you can't see me doing it. I'm doing it right now, but (laughs) (laughs) But I'm imagining it in my brain to describe, draw me a picture with your words (laughs) (laughs) to describe it. Um, I first in my mixer mix my almond flour with my powdered sugar, um, with a little bit of egg whites just to get it into a paste. And then I, in three parts, so I have my side of already pre-whipped meringue that you have to like fold into your almond mixture to make the the macaron batter. So I, in three parts, mix that meringue into the almond paste. It's, hmm, you can do it in your mixer, you can do it by hand, but it's really all about like the finesse of like not over mixing and not over folding I don't know if I'm even making any sense. It's very hard to describe. It's more of a very visual thing, but essentially you're just mixing your uh, meringue, folding it into your almond paste slowly until you don't really have any more streaks of almond paste in your meringue. And that might take a couple minutes and a good strong arm workout. There's all those clues people talk about, like it needs to look like lava. It needs to, the the traces of, of the batter need to dissolve in this many seconds. And I think those are all, you know, perfectly fine descriptions. But I think what you're saying is you need to partner with someone or watch a video and, it, <laughs> and really learn that visual cue in, in live. Um, and, and I think so much, of, so much of baking really can't be described it has to be has to be experienced. It's one of those class class type pastries. Like it's a good one to take a class on. There's a lot and many where times. Like, yeah, t- just reading one a recipe for enough. a lot of things is fine. And then other other things, I feel like this is. Uh, it's like I think it's like plants. You know how like a lot of plants, if your plant is dying and you look up, like why is it dying? The answer is you're probably overwatering it or you're probably underwatering it. And you're like, well, that helps me 0.0 nothing. <laughs> and it's the same with macros. Like I'm having issues. It's like, well, you're probably over mixing it or you're probably under mixing it. And it's like, <laughs> well, so that that's not helpful at all. And yeah, I think it's such a visual thing. It's hard to describe. I, I would love to be, you only need to see it really once someone do it to understand what is going on. Cause you, if you mix to the point of like bubbles, that's too much. I, I did this for so long at Bottega Louie. Like I was the macaron person at Bottega Louie in Los Angeles where they make, you know, 10,000 macarons a day. Um, so I got <laughs> really good at um, mixing 60 quarts of macaron batter a day by hand. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I had some wrist issues after that, but I'm sure you can find something on the interwebs. It's all over there. Yeah. Yeah, I, you can, it's achievable. You can do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, just go down that trail. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a definite rabbit hole. But you, you will find you will find what you need. Yeah, it can be done. Or you could hire somebody to hold you like in Ghost where they make the pottery and have somebody come behind you <laughs> and hold your hands and make the macarons This is together. a whole other business you're going to start. <laughs> I, should, I, should, I should make a video. I should hold a little class. I mean, you do classes. I have not yet done a class yet. so And people always ask, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I should do that. You must. I'll come. Make a class, and I'll come. Okay, so we have some troubleshooting questions. So from the bake from bake from scratch editor himself, editor in chief, Brian Hart Hoffman. He would like to know what is the trick to keep the color white on baked meringues yet perfectly baked. Mm. Keep your temperature uh, lower. So rather than having a high temperature on meringue specifically, not pavlovas because pavlovas you bake at a higher temperature first, but meringue kisses, <clears throat> bake it, um, 225 for for me that's I know everyone's oven is a little bit different but the lower you can go and the longer you can bake meringue kisses the better they will stay beautiful pearly white um, when you start uh, jacking up the heat and it's too hot that's when your meringue discolors so it's all about um, the low and slow for the meringue kisses specifically yeah, I do 200 for if it's a kiss for like 30, 40 minutes, and that works for me. And they are, I'll brag on myself, perfectly white, snow white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. It feels like such like a feat when you get perfect meringue because, you know, they are challenging. It is simple ingredients, but they are challenging. You said the word pavlova, and it made my brain think of another question about pavlova. Do you ever recommend when you're starting to just once you've gotten through most of the baking time to check to see if the inside's still soft, just reaching in and touching the meringue. Oh yeah. I totally do that. Pavlova. Yeah. I I mean, I don't want to open the oven until at least an hour through, but the longer you can leave it in there, the better. And I know it's hard too, when you don't have a window on your oven door, Yeah. resist. I'm telling you, because as soon as you open that oven door and you let air in, the shell will kind of crack or it'll bubble. And that, that air harms the, the environment inside the oven and it will, yeah, make your uh, meringue kind of have a weird crackly skin. And we want smooth and pearly. So and what do you think the difference between chewy will feel like if you touched your meringue versus soft and spongy? Chewy happens over time it doesn't so it'll it'll start off spongy mm-hmm. um and then if you leave it in there longer i'm talking longer then it'll okay yeah it, it'll become chewy and it might also be the consistency of your meringue too mm. um when you're throwing it in that could affect how chewy it is too it's kind of gummy and taffy you want your sugar completely dissolved for pavlova right or no yeah, you want your sugar dissolved as much as possible. That's why you use super fine sugar. And if you don't have super mm-hmm. fine sugar, you can throw regular granulated sugar into uh, a blender and, and grind that down. I've also used powdered sugar too, and that gives an interesting consistency. I've used all forms just to get that perfect meringue. So that's an option too, is powdered sugar. It, it does lend like a different consistency, a different mouthfeel when you're eating your meringue. Um, kind of delicate and 
almost less sweet, but it does taste different slightly too. It's it's worth trying different kinds of of sugar just to just to try it out, just to see what you like best. Do you use super fine even if you're doing Swiss or Italian? Because I don't normally. I just kind of throw whatever sugar since it's getting melted. Or do you think it still matters? No, I, I don't think it matters. I use regular granulated sugar for Swiss and Italian because you're cooking it down. It's going to dissolve no matter what. So uh, okay. it, it's not worth that extra effort of grinding it down. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. At Maris Bakes A Lot, what temperature to bake to have it be pure white and also dried out? Thanks. So I know you mentioned it earlier, but just in case anyone missed it, what's that temperature? Mm-hmm. I say lower the better. So 225 or lower if your oven goes lower. A lot of ovens, home ovens don't. So if you can do 200, amazing. And if you can leave it in there for like an hour, perfect or longer. Um, but if you're going like 225, 250, I would do 40 minutes, 45. It's really also a lot to do with your oven and it out. It's it rarely will you be able to get it on the very first try. But if you do, like that's amazing too. Like I don't want to discourage anybody, but it's it's about knowing your oven too and your hot spots and if it runs hotter or cooler. So general recommendation is lower, closer to 200 and a little bit longer, maybe even an hour. 45 minutes an hour. Perfect. All right. So our next two questions are similar. So I'm going to combine them. So Menel Marie says, is there a way to make meringues in bad weather? And then Jay Burke 777 says, knowing that you were down South for so long, how do you combat the effects of humidity? I think that's me, unless you were also down South. Heather, (laughs) (laughs) were you down there with me? Um, (laughs) No, I I did spend a, a couple weeks filming though the the show in New Orleans and that was pretty darn humid and I did make meringue. Yeah, wow, yeah, that's super humid there. Is there a way to make meringue in bad weather? Well, it's for LA. We have a lot of rain, which is super rare, and we're discovering that our meringue is falling a little bit. So we're actually trying, <laughs> currently trying to figure out how to best work with meringue in such wet weather. Um, I, I would actually like to hear from you what you, what recommendations you have for that since this is unfamiliar to me here. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked, Jeremy, you remember with Antoinette, cause she was talking about making macarons and how she does. And one of the things she does for that is something I do for meringues and I did in Georgia. And I will say I made them in all sorts of weather, humid days, rainy days, with success, but it does take some doing. So I would, depending on the season, either way heat or way cool my house up. So if it was summer, make sure the house was really cool and dry because the AC will dry the house out. We had one of those Nest thermostats so I could actually see the percentage of humidity in our house because it would read that, which was kind of cool. So I would drop the humidity before I would even start the process. And then my electric oven definitely did help. And I would keep the oven completely closed until I was ready to take them out. So a lot of recipes will read where you do the baking and then you prop your oven door open with a spoon or something on a dry day. That's great. So that the temperature, you know, you do that because the temperature 
gradually drops so that your meringue temperature doesn't change really fast and that temperature change in the air will cause it to collapse. So that works fine if it's not humid, but if it's really humid, I would just keep the door closed until I was fully ready to take them out. And I'm talking like three hours or so until I was really confident that the oven was room temperature. And then before I would pull the baked meringues out, I would already have my container prepared. So my house would be pretty dry. The oven would be dry. I wouldn't pull them out. And then I would have a container that, you know, has a, a really nice lid on it, or either I would do two or three wraps of plastic wrap. Sorry, environment. Mm-hmm. It, I feel terrible. I need to buy like some, uh, emissions points, but anyway, I would quickly put the meringues in there and, and, and seal it and then not pull them out until I was ready to use them and then do what you did. Like if I was putting it on a cake, get them on the cake, get the cake airtight. I'd put it in a cake box and then wrap that and keep it in the fridge and, and try to do it really close to the time of serving. So, um, you know, I wouldn't let it stop me, you know, certainly like if someone had ordered a cake that needed meringues on it and I'm like, it's a rainy day in Georgia, I would never call the customer and be like, I'm not doing meringues now, you know, too bad. So sad. And, and it worked, it was with success, but certainly it's stressful when you're delivering and it's pouring rain. I didn't, I could, and now I'm having a flashback. I delivered this cake to a super fancy restaurant. It was a really nice party. And we put a lot of effort into the design of this cake and the whole top surface was covered with, with meringues and it was pouring rain when I had to deliver it. And the cake was too tall to fit in the cake box. So I was like, huddled, like I used basically my body to cover the top of this cake, holding the umbrella then over my body to shield it, to get it into the restaurant. And it was fine. I just think don't expose it to humidity until the very, very end. So there's my, there's my Southern tales of the South. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. That's yeah. I've heard, um, also immediately putting meringue into an airtight container to, to trap that you know, humidity out and keep it fresh for as long as possible. Cause you can seal meringue and it'll last for a very long time. Like it's sugar is a, what, a natural preservative. So they, they last, which is amazing too. And you can make a ton ahead of time and then reserve it for like weeks. I think it would be hard in a storefront though, on a rainy day. Like every time a customer would come through the door, I'd be like, can you like scurry yourself in here and get that door closed <laughs> behind you, please? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it works, but I do notice the meringue does fall a little bit. Um, so it's not as peaky and tall, but it still works. It's just not perfection. And I love the perfection of, you know, the tall meringue. At Bonamoon would like to know, is there any way to come back when you've overwhipped your meringue? I love this question. Good question. Yes and no, you can. Um, we have many times overwhipped our meringue. Um, and if it becomes too stiff, you can fold it, just fold and fold until it does kind of mellow out and become uh, smooth again. It will have a little bit of a texture that's kind of grainy or bubbly, but it can still be used and still be piped um, in a a pastry bag. So it's possible. It's not going to be as clean and smooth and shiny as if you didn't over whip it, 
but um, if it's completely unusable, like you can't even pipe it into anything pretty, then throw some butter in there and make it buttercream. You can always use smart. meringue for, for something. Very smart. And what if you've overwhipped it to the point where it started deflating? Is there anything, you know, how like if it gets to stiff peaks and then you keep going and it starts to lose volume. Yeah. What then? Um, you can still make meringue in different form. You can spread your meringue, your, your deflated meringue out onto a parchment paper, like spread it thin, bake that. And that, and then you can break off the pieces and it's still like pretty meringue, just like shards. You can use it for eaten mess, which is like leftover meringue or shards of meringue with whipped cream and butter, not butter, I'm sorry, berries. <laughs> and it's still usable. Or you could even try throwing butter into it too and making buttercream. Awesome. You know, I always put an eighth of a teaspoon of cream of tartar per egg white when I'm making any type of meringue, well, especially French meringue. And it, I have, you cannot overwhip it. I mean, maybe you can, but it's almost impossible. And it, it's a great, I've had so much success making meringues that way. Ooh, that's a good tip. That is a good tip. I was, I started using um, cream of tartar in the beginning and I stopped because I noticed that the, the shine dulled oh, on really? meringue slightly. Yeah. That's good to know. I like my shine, but it's, it's definitely good for stabilizing your egg white. Uh, so perfect segue to this next question is from, it's a question from BD wages. I can never get mine smooth, shiny for piping or spreading on cakes, etc. Help. So <laughs> you just kind of touched on one tip there. Do you have any others? Is that applying meringue directly or using it as buttercream? Um, that Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. So maybe both because I feel like bubbles are an issue in like a meringue buttercream if you're trying to make a really nice smooth surface. So some recommendation there. And then also for the baked, I feel like, you know, definitely I've admired the pictures of Josephine online because the, the texture of the piped kisses and things, sometimes mine will get a little bit uh, pitted. That's the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Little tiny micro pits. Mm-hmm. And it looks like your meringues don't have that. It's just like this really smooth surface. So I think both. I want to know both. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So for buttercream, when you make your Italian or your uh, Swiss buttercream fresh, it's fluffy and it's white and it's beautiful and you frost a cake with it and it is, there's a lot of bubbles. It's hard to like whip those bubbles out <clears throat> with a spatula when you're frosting a cake. So the, the best way to get smooth buttercream is let it sit overnight. The bubbles. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. The bubbles will kind of dissipate and then you can throw that into a bowl and use a spatula and kind of like hand whip the excess bubbles out, but that will get you super smooth buttercream. If you just let it sit overnight, um, it, it won't be as white as when you first whipped it but it will be smooth as heck. And if you even color your buttercream that you're not going to notice that it's not as white, but it still tastes great. It's still the same buttercream. Um, and you just have less, less the bubbles. So that's, it's all about letting it sit and kind of cure. And then for baked meringue, avoiding those divots. Um, I think it's, it's whisking it, not over whisking it. So whisk your meringue, before you think, like stop before you think it's done. Stop and test, like do the the stiffness test where you you pull out the 
the uh, the whisk and you turn it upside down with the meringue and you see that it's kind of like tall and stiff, you kind of want it to kind of curl the tip to curl over a little bit and not stand super straight up because though you think it's not stiff enough, it actually is stiff enough when you pipe it. And, and that'll avoid you getting those like weird consistency divots in the meringue. This is good for me to hear. Cause yeah, I typically take it all the way. And so I need to probably pull back a little bit. Yeah. Just like a minute or two. And, and that makes okay. all the difference. Cool. Okay. Great tip. Milt's dad would like to know how reliable are egg whites purchased at the grocery store rather than fresh eggs for making? And then their question was cut off, but that's, that's a great no, question. That's, as a, it is. that's a really great, great question. And, and that's something that we had to experiment with because cracking egg whites fresh daily is a task. You need like one person to do that all day long. It's crazy. Um, and I wanted to eliminate some labor by purchasing egg whites in a carton and though using just egg whites in a carton will not work. It won't work. You'll just get soupy meringue that will never whip up because it's, it's old egg whites. It's mm. all the enzymes within the egg whites are not strong enough, the proteins, So it forces your meringue to collapse or never even grow. If you want to use the egg carton egg whites, you can do um, half and half. So I would recommend doing half your egg carton egg whites, and then half fresh egg whites. Because fresh egg whites will always lend you the best consistency for meringue and the strongest proteins. So um, if you want to avoid cracking so many eggs, you can do half and half at most. So that's my recommendation. What about aged egg whites? Because often you hear that being recommended for certain types of meringues. Yeah, I've, and I know that's pretty common with uh, macaron recipes, to age your egg whites. And I've done that. And I've also used fresh egg whites. And I, I didn't find a huge difference for macarons when I aged them than when I used fresh. I like to use fresh because the, the proteins are so much stronger. So you, your egg whites will whip up faster and better and they will hold longer. That's, that's my experience with meringue and using fresh egg whites. Uh, aged, it, it kind of like dulls and dulls the proteins in there. So they're not as strong when you're whipping everything and they tend to deflate faster. Total side note question, but have you worked with aquafaba? And if you have, do you have any tips for that? I have not. And that is my next adventure is to work with that. Cause I do want to offer all the, the vegans in the community, you know, some beautiful meringue too. I, I know this is kind of a newish thing too. You using chickpeas, which is, I feel like that's like, what do you do with all those chickpeas? That's a lot of hummus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we're going to have a row of shops. So it's going to be a meringue <laughs> shop and then it's going to be a Portuguese baking shop. And then it's going to be a, uh, like a Mediterranean, uh, shop. Yeah. You know, funny enough, there are quite a few Portuguese pastries that use chickpeas. Oh, perfect. Well then perfect. forget the Mediterranean oh. shop. You still have it covered. Yeah. We- <laughs> We have used bean paste, kind of like Asian pastries a lot. Oh, oh, yeah, that's okay. We're doing this now. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to figure out how I work into this equation. I guess I'm an eater. <laughs> I'll just go back and forth, chowing down. I'll go in that door and then end that door and I'll be happy as can be. Yeah, so. yeah. you're promoting, you're outside, you're giving samples. 
Oh, perfect. <laughs> I'm a good sample person. You know what? I used to work at Starbucks many moons ago and I would make those little tiny frappuccinos and stand out there. And I had a blast and I sold a ton of frappuccinos. So I'll be good for your business. Oh, you're, I you're hired. Done. Done. <laughs> Done. All right. So last listener question, it's kind of back to the crunchy meringue situation is from M one, two, one, four. So it's E M M E one, two, one, four on Instagram. How do I store them properly? I've put them in airtight containers and they deflate and get chewy. What am I doing wrong? It's all about temperature and humidity of where you're storing. So while it's good to store your meringue in an airtight container, it also needs to be in a room that is dry um, and not too warm because if your meringue is in an airtight container in a warm room, they will become very chalky almost and kind of disintegrate. Um, if you keep it in an airtight container in a cool room, they will slowly tend to dry out and become crispy. So depending on the temperature of your room too, not just your airtight container, it will kind of give it a different consistency. And also leaving your meringue, I found leaving meringue on a tray out, not in an airtight container in a warm room, dries them out and it doesn't harm them. It's, it's so strange how temperature affects meringue so much. And it probably... It probably seems like discouraging to to people listening, but it's it's not that bad. It's it's I've just run into all these issues because I'm trying to store like thousands of pieces of meringue. But a, a regular house airtight container in a house it it should be able to last you a couple of weeks without any major issue. I have to chime in a little bit too. I have had this trouble in the past. And something I realized I was doing wrong, and this may be the case, maybe not, but I wasn't cooking my meringues long enough because they kind of have their own environment and own humidity too. So I felt like I could put them in the driest of dry airtight containers and everything's wonderful and great. And then I would open it just like she's saying, and then find out they were chewy. And for me, the issue I was having is I wasn't cooking them long enough. Mm -hmm. So then the container was dry, but the meringues themselves were not dry. So then they kind of lived in their own humidity and became chewy by their own cause. So that could be another thing to think about. That's actually a really good point. Um, I, I noticed with French meringue kisses, they tend to be a little moister inside. So when you do store those, they, they do have their own humid environment, which does make them chewy and softer. And that's also why I like Italian or Swiss meringue when you bake them because you've already baked or cooked out a lot of the moisture when you've heated your egg whites. It lasts longer. The consistency uh, isn't so moist inside. In fact, Swiss meringue, I've, I've found when you bake it, is a lot more marshmallowy inside than Italian and French. So uh, that's also really delicious if you like marshmallowy textures. That's so interesting. I never thought about that initial humidity loss in the heating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I find like cooking your egg whites with Swiss or Italian also creates the shiniest, uh, like texture 
on the shell. It's so pretty. And it does last a little bit longer because it's not as humid. So maybe that's something, you know, to give a try when you're storing too. It'll last a little bit longer. Do you know that I have some, I think they're Swiss meringue shards that I just looked at today. I'm like, those are a year old and they're still perfectly <laughs> crunchy. They are totally crunchy. Yeah. So it's crazy. They you, like preserve. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, those were shards for a birthday cake last year. And that person's birthday just came and went. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we could keep going, but we have to set, we, we need to let you go to go make more meringues. <laughs> I have to, uh, yeah, I have to make thousands of meringues for all of Los Angeles. Yes. But our last and final question is if you could bake for anyone dead or unlo- dead or alive, who would you bake for them? What would you bake? <gasps> oh my gosh. I know this question and I, I didn't even think about, like, I know you guys asked this question. I didn't even consider who would I bake for? Oh my gosh. I want to say, I want to say, I want to say Gandhi. Is that too pretentious? <laughs> no. That's awesome. We've had Oprah. We've had Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We've had all kinds of beers is even Oh, wow, that's amazing. I, I just think that would uh, blow his his mind. <laughs> I have no other political or like religious reason for it. I just that just popped in my head. That's awesome. Well, now, what, what are you would making you make? him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would probably make him a pavlova because a pavlova is mind blowing. You don't realize like if you've never had it before and you look at it, it's it's so simple but so oh my god it's so delicious like whipped cream and berries and crispy soft meringue all together all those textures and uh, i'm feeling like i need that now that's awesome well can we come along please yeah i know i gotta get you guys some a pavlova very soon sounds delicious it is a magical dessert it is well heather thank you so much Thank I'm you. floating on a meringue cloud now, just uh, dreaming of meringues. No, oh, thank With you. With so many good tips. Yeah, I hope I hope they're helpful, and I hope you know everyone's out there trying meringue. It's it's worth a go, and it's in so many things. So uh, you'll be surprised. It's it's a very cool technique to get down. All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you for having me. This was so fun to talk about meringue for so long. Yeah, good rainy day topic. Oh yeah, huh? <laughs> it's, it's ideal. so funny. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I got to get in there. I seriously, I just need to. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.